you have your Bibles, turn over to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, we'll be looking at verses 44 to 53 and our time together uh, this morning. Suppose you're out of work and you con- contact one of those internet groups, like, is it monster.com? Is that, isn't that one of them that kind of does these things? Yeah. You tell the guy you're looking for work and he gets back to you and he says, um, got a job for you. You say, well, what is it? And he says, well, I'm not sure exactly. It's just, it's a job. Well, what company? I'm, I'm not sure about that either. Well, what will I be doing? Not, not, not real sure. How secure would you feel in that? Not so much. I mean, you're saying, what am I going to do? I, I need to know the job title, job description. And then I have to ask myself, can I do it? So if you hired me as a carpenter or a mechanic, that wouldn't be a good thing for you. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I just, I'm, I'm just not real. Ca- I, I, I use the phone well when I get into problems, and I know pe- I have good friends I can call saying, "Hey, I got this problem, and they can help me." But if you're going to hire me for that, I just have no ability in those areas. So if you're going to choose a job, you got to know what it is, and you got to be able to do it. We come to Luke chapter 24. Jesus has a job description for everybody that is a believer. And you know what? Although you can't do it on your own, God can do it through you. So we just kind of talk through what he says here. It's powerful stuff. We, we started it a little bit last week. And I want to just... Uh, finish it up. If you remember last week, remember that the disciples were so resistant to believe that Christ had resurrected. And even when he appeared, remember what happened? He appears to them and he says, it's I. And they're thinking, you're a ghost, you're a spirit, right? Something else. Exactly right. And Jesus comes up and says, look at my hands, touch me. And you guys got anything to eat? And through that whole process, they find out Christ's glorified body is not less than physical, is it? He can eat. And, and, and they're reeling about this time, trying to put it all together like, wow, it is him. He has resurrected. He's a foretaste of what comes to everybody who knows him one day in the future. You know, if Christ tarries. They're going to put me in the grave. My body's going to decompose. But one day, it'll be resurrected. How do you know that? Because I know the one who was resurrected. And that makes all the difference in the world. He now looks at his men, and he gives them a job description. You know what? we got some fourth graders here because they weren't able to go off today for junior church. Do you know he's got a job description for you guys? And 85 years old? Job description for you too. And everybody in between. Or older than, or younger than. Listen to what he says. Verse 44. Now Jesus said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. That all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be 
fulfilled. So what they viewed as the end, his death, was actually the beginning, wasn't it? They thought it's all over. And Jesus is saying, oh, no, 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 no. This had to happen. Because the Old Testament itself was always pointing forward to the fact that Christ must come and go through all this. It had to happen. And then I love verse 45. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. I don't know what that was all about. What I do know is back in chapter 18, when Jesus earlier had said, I'm going to die, I'm going to be buried, I'm going to resurrect. You know how they responded in, verse eight, in chapter 18, verse 34? They understood none of these things, and this saying was hidden from them, and they didn't comprehend the things that were said. In other words, when Jesus was talking about through his life, I'm go- this is going to go through me, it just literally goes, whoop. You know that as a teacher? We have teachers in here. Well, you've taught, and you've, I, I, matter of fact, I was in class the other day. Couldn't believe it. I just gave an assignment. I said, no, look, folks, on this assignment, I want you to do this and this and this and this. Five minutes later, somebody raised their hand. What do you want us to do for that assignment? And, you know, it was all I could do to say, were you here five minutes ago? No, I didn't do that. I didn't do that, but man, was I ever tempted. But you, you know that as a teacher, don't you, where you give these assignments. <laughs> Dave said, like, no, I never had that experience. <laughs> but it just, it just, and for them, it just all goes over their head. It's like nothing connects. And it's like Jesus opens up their eyes and says, guys, I want you to read the Old Testament now. And you will see that everything is heading to me. Sometimes there's pictures of Jesus in the sacrificial system. Sometimes there's statements where you think, I think that's being spoken about of King David, but no, 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 it's the ultimate king. Sometimes there's direct prophecies. Sometimes there's just a world where all you see is sin and failure, and we need a new covenant. We need transformation, and it points that way. But as you read through your Old Testament, what you find is everything is moving to Jesus. And he looks at his guys and opened up their eyes and he says, guys, look, I am the end point for all of that. And they're going like, wow. So he goes on to say this. And he said to them, verse 46, thus it is written. Okay, Jesus, what is it about you that we read back there that should be now lived out today in our lives. What is it? Here it is. And he said to them, it is written that the Christ should suffer. Really? The Messiah King would suffer. For the Jews, that would have made no sense. Cursed is everybody who hangs on a tree. But the only way that you and I could be bought and forgiven would be if Christ would come and die for our sins. And he says, when you look back, when you look at the entire sacrificial system, when you read Isaiah chapter 53, when you read Psalm 22, guys, guys, it's all about the fact that the only way you can be delivered will be if God becomes a man and suffers for you. 
That had to happen. Your job description is you are a witness. And you are a witness of that. In the first century, the cross was a terrible thing. Jews thought it meant you were cursed of God. And Greeks thought it was foolishness to talk about somebody possibly saving you by becoming a man and dying. They thought that was the stupidest thing in the world. But I have to tell you, things have not changed in our day. You listen to people and either they'll say, the cross is failure. The cross is stupid that God would do something like that. And you know what? It is the only hope of humanity. And he looks back and Jesus says, this had to happen. The Messiah, the King of kings and Lord of lords, had to die. Why do we sing about it? Why do we do communion? Why do we read and reflect on it? Because it had to happen. And there could never be deliverance apart from the suffering of the Messiah. But that would never be enough by itself, would it? Because how do you know if the payment was any good? Thus it is written that the Messiah should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. So you go back and Peter and Paul will speak about this in the book of Acts when they're preaching. They'll say, hey, go back to Psalm 16 for just a minute. Where it talks, David seems to be talking, and then he says, you won't leave my body in the grave and all these kinds of things. And he says, um, I got a question for you. Do you know where David's body is right now? It's right over there in that tomb. So who was he speaking about in Psalm 16? He was speaking about the Messiah who would resurrect from the grave. And when you read your Old Testament, you must read again and again. Payment must be made, but payment will not be good unless somebody has power over that through the resurrection. And Jesus says that had to happen. One other thing had to happen. The Messiah must suffer. The Messiah must rise from the dead. And verse 47, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You know what he's saying? When you read in your Old Testament, maybe you're reading in the book of Isaiah, or maybe in the book of Amos, you will come to Isaiah chapter 49, and you will read about the servant of servants who will be the means through which salvation can come to the whole world. And here's the point. The Messiah did not come to save the Jewish nation. The Messiah came to live, to die, to resurrect from the grave, to be the king of kings, so the doorway could be opened up so that all kinds of people could come to faith in Jesus Christ. And he says here in this passage, you are witnesses of this. You're going to start in Jerusalem, but you can't end there. It's the starting point. It's not the end point. So beginning in Jerusalem, 
I want you to go out and everybody you meet, I want you to say, do you know what you find out when you read your Bible? Jesus had to die for you. But Jesus resurrected now and he's the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he wants all people to be saved. Won't you come to him? And Jesus speaks through that great plan. He looks at his people and he says, you're witnesses. Were you ever a witness at a trial in your life? I was only one time. When they brought me up to the stand, sat me down, said, Mr. Finkbeiner, could you please explain blah, 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 blah. And then I said, this is what I saw. This is what I experienced. Blah, 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 blah. And he said, thank you, Mr. Finkbeiner. You can sit down now. That was it. You know what we do as believers? We go up to people and we say, let me tell you what I have experienced and what the Bible teaches. Christ has died. He is resurrected. And he wants you to become a, a Christian. Won't you come to him? He's reaching out to you right now. And so whether I do that at the grocery store or wherever the case may be, sitting over a kitchen table with a friend or family member, what dominates me and what my job description is, I am a witness of Jesus Christ. I show them how in the Bible, look at this. Look at this. Look at what he did. Won't you come to him? Because the gospel message was never meant to, kept, to be kept between four, four, four walls. It was always meant to break out into a lost and dying world with people that you think could never become Christians. Save them and transform them there. Be proclaimed everywhere. Your job description, you're a witness. A witness of what? What Christ has done as you read about him in the scriptures. But you look at that and you say, um, that's a lot to pull off. And he goes on to say this in verse 49. Look at what it says. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my father upon you. And you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came about that while he was blessing them, he parted from them. And they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. Can you be an effective witness on your own? Hey, couple of us have been to seminary. That's the answer, right? You go to seminary and you can become an effective witness. That's what it's all about, right? Nope. He says in this passage, for people to be the kind of witnesses they must be, they need the power of the Spirit working through them. For just a second, let me explain this. 
One of the things that's really, really interesting, and I think I told you this before. I don't want to get too teachy on you, but just a little bit. So stay with me. Um, it is really interesting. When you think of growing up, this is how I thought about the Gospels and the book of Acts. I thought, when you read, you should read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because that'll tell you all about Jesus. And then you should read Acts, because that tells you all about the early church. And then you can read Paul's epistles and everybody else's. Okay, fair enough. And that's kind of how our Bible's set up, right? But here's something I think is really, really important. Luke, when he wrote, wrote two books. He wrote the Gospel of Luke, and he wrote the book of Acts. And he meant for you and I to read through the book of Luke, and then to keep going and read through the book of Acts. One leads right into the other. And so what we're reading now in Luke chapter 24, if you pick, flip over for just a second to Acts chapter 1, you're going to have kind of a deja vu experience. Because it covers the same territory, but fills in some other material for us. Listen to what it says. I'm just going to read Acts 1, maybe the first 11 verses here. Here are the parallels of what we just said. Acts 1, the first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these also he presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days. And speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. I just want to kind of give you, when you put Luke and Acts together, what you have is you have the Passover, Jesus dies. Three days later, he's resurrected. And then there's 40 days in which Jesus will appear here. He'll appear in Jerusalem. He'll appear in Galilee a couple times, back in Jerusalem again. He's appearing all over the place. So by the time these guys get done those 40 days, there's no question that he's not a, he's not a ghost. He's real. They see that. And they also hear him teach all about his kingdom. All right? There's going to then be a seven-day waiting period where they go and they pray, they worship in the temple, and they pray and prepare, and then Pentecost comes with the, with the coming of the Spirit, and nothing's ever going to be the same after that. Okay? So just kind of remember that as, as we read on here. And gathering them together in this 40-day period of time, verse 4 of Acts 1, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me. John baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with the Spirit not many days from now. And so, when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? You know, it's so funny to me. Over this 40 period of time, Jesus is talking to them, and he's going to talk to them about what he's going to be doing in the future and all those kinds of things. And all they're doing is, at least at this point, is they're focusing on that, and they're saying, so when's that going to happen? Right? And Jesus says, don't worry about when I'm coming back and what I'm going to do then, does he? Look what he says instead. Verse, verse 8. He said to them, it's not for you to know the time or the epics which the Father has fixed, but this is what you need to do. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. 
And then again, he gives another account of the ascension. And this time, as they watch him ascend, they're all looking up. And the angels say, he's coming back. And they go back, and things will never be the same, folks. That's his message. That's how Luke ends his first book and how he begins his second book. And here's one of the things I think is really interesting. All through the Gospel of Luke, once you hit chapter 9 and following, it is all about Jesus Christ getting to Jerusalem. You know why? Because it's in Jerusalem that Jesus would die, resurrect, and ascend, and the Spirit would come. All in Jerusalem. And, and, and for his great plan to occur, he must go there, he must die, he must resurrect, he must ascend, and the Spirit would come. But you know what happens after that? When you read about in the book of Acts, is it about staying in Jerusalem? No way. It is about getting out of Jerusalem now. So Luke gets us to Jerusalem. Acts gets us away from Jerusalem so we can take this incredible message to a lost and dying world. So I ask you, where are you with all that? Do you know the privilege it is to be a witness of the living Lord, the only true God who has loved us and is coming back for us? And he tells us, what I want you to do is again and again and again, go to that seat and tell people about Jesus. Tell them the story of what he's done and where it's all going. And tell them if they're breathing, there's hope. I don't know, I was reading through this passage again. I just think about this the last couple weeks. It's just so easy for me to become complacent in my Christianity. I'm filled with, I'm, I'm surrounded by so many wonderful people. You know, it's convenient enough. How many more people do we need? You, you, you know what I'm saying? Isn't it easy to have that? I don't know. It, it's just, I have a nice family. I have nice friends. I have a nice church family. It's, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. but I've been commissioned as a witness. And the beauty is, I never go it alone. I have been given of the Spirit. I'm indwelt by the Spirit. And it's, so, it's such an interesting passage. Over in Acts chapter 4, they're trying to witness, you remember? And man, the, the religious leaders are all over them. And Peter comes back and he tells everybody, boy, it was really, really tough, God. You know, but you want us to do this? It's persecution. It's tough. It's hard. And, but we're going to do it by your grace. And then the text says at the end of Acts 4 that they were filled with the Spirit. And you know how they manifested that? They went out with boldness and witnessed of Jesus Christ. You never go it alone. Back in Acts, I'm sorry, back in Luke chapter, uh, is it 17? It's a really interesting passage. Jesus is prophesying about his people going out and witnessing to the world. And he says, when you go out, 
There will be times when you're not sure what you're going to say. But you go anyway. And you say as much as you can, and the Spirit of God will give you words and help you in the process. Isn't that what we do? You never witness alone. But it is a great privilege that we should all be involved in. Will you do me a favor? Will you... um? Maybe this afternoon, pull out a three-by-five card and ask God for just three people that you can put on that card that you would like to prayerfully consider witnessing to in the next couple weeks. Is that so hard? Maybe it's a relative, a neighbor, a coworker. I, I don't know who it is. We, we have to be serious about being the people of God. We love each other. It's so nice to be here with you. I, it's great. But there's all kinds of people that desperately need Jesus Christ. Will you in your mind write down a couple people on a sheet and prayerfully ask God to help you reach them? And I'd even ask you to take another step. Why don't you tell somebody else in the church, will you pray for me? as I pray for these three people. And you can check up on me too. It's not a bad thing, is it? So that we might be witnesses of the living Lord. It is our great privilege. May God strengthen us to do it. Where else will the world find forgiveness if it's not through his name? If we don't tell them. One quick thing and I'm going to let you go. I was reading in a book this week. And um, there, there was a Holocaust survivor by the name of Simon Weisenthal. Who wrote a little book called The Sunflower. And in it. He talks about his experience at Auschwitz. He was one of the Jews that actually lived. He was liberated, lost virtually his entire family, most of his friends. And he said just a few weeks before the, before, before the Russians came in, he was pulled in quickly into a room. He thought he was going to get killed. He wasn't sure what they were going to do. And he's pulled in, and he was here beside a young Nazi soldier, 19 years of age, who was ready to die. He had suffered some, uh, he was shot or something like that. And, and, and he started talking to Simon, and he said, Basically this, he said, um, the Nazis have done horrible things to the Jews, and I have been part of that. Will you forgive me for what I've done? Simon looked at him, and he says in, his, in this book called The Sunflower, he looks at him, and he thinks for a minute, and he thinks to himself, the people you should really be asking for forgiveness are dead. I'm still living. So rather than saying a word, he talked. I'm sorry, he turned and walked out and never said a word. You know what I've thought? The one that all humanity has offended has died for that humanity, is resurrected as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he 
is willing to forgive. Will we tell them? Father,